Anybody ever gotten bad advice? I just got bad advice from Aaron. He told me a fortnight was 20 days. It's two weeks. Uh, thank God for Google, because I would have been going around using Fortnite in all the wrong ways. Uh, but I don't know, anybody actually got, anybody given bad advice? I, I've given bad advice before. The, the truth is, like, there's a lot of bad advice out there. Like, yeah, you should definitely wear that fanny pack. It looks great on you. No, no, you shouldn't. Uh, or wearing socks with your sandals makes you look really cool, old dad. Oh, you're 16? You should definitely get your girlfriend's name tattooed on your arm. Those skinny jeans look great on you. They don't accentuate your muffin top at all. You should totally open another credit card and just transfer the balance and keep on charging. Dude, dropping out of school is the best move you could ever make. I actually had a, uh, once had this like redneck dude named Tony Montana. Yes, just like Scarface. Uh, uh, he like stopped to help me. And he, he uh, in, a, in turn, gave me a bunch, of, a bunch of different advice. And one of the pieces of advice he gave me was that I should try dumpster diving because you can find a lot of really good stuff. Um, and so I was driving this truck and, um, and there's a, a river that I was on one side of the river trying to get to the other side. I was going up the ramp to this, uh, to this, to this one lane bridge. There's only one lane going both directions uh, in Northern California in the area where we lived. And when I, and like, as I pulled onto the bridge, started going up, like the transmission started slipping. And by the time I was reaching the very top to get up onto the bridge, um, like the, the tr transmission was gone. Like I was gunning, and I was moving like two miles an hour. And I just was like, please let me get up over the lip. I finally made it up over the lip and I just rolled to a stop. And so now there's all these cars back behind me and I tried to inch over and there wasn't enough room. And, uh, and, and, then, um, and, and then Tony Montana came to my rescue because he was, he was like just ahead of me and he saw me kind of break down. So he backed up and he had this big old truck and he got out and he was wearing, um, he was wearing, uh, like suspender overalls, what are those called? Yeah, overalls, no shirt, of course. Um, and then they were like, the pocket was ripped in the back and he didn't have any chones on either. So uh, it was awesome, big long hair, he had something in his mouth. And he was like, hey man, he was super friendly. And I was like, dude, I don't know, like, I mean, are you gonna be able to help me or not? And he's like, he's like, I was like, yeah, I don't know what to do. He's like, I got you. And I was like, oh, cool, man, what's your name? He's like, I'm Tony Montana. And I was like, yeah, you are. That's awesome. And so he like hooked up this tow rope and pulled me across the bridge. And we got to this gas station. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and he was like, oh, so that probably just needs fluid. And I, I don't know anything about cars. Um, I have a universal tool that always works on my car. It's called my phone. And when it breaks down, I just go, hey, yeah, can you come tow me to a place where they can fix it? Uh, that's about as much as I know how to fix cars. And so I did. But he was like, oh, it just needs fluid. And I was like, oh, sweet. Let's just get some fluid. And he's like, well, we, I think we can just put oil in it. And then, you know, just, I was like, Tony, you're, you're my savior. You're the expert. Like, let's do this. And so we started adding all kinds of stuff to the transmission, all kinds of stuff to the engine. And then he threw, he threw the, the, uh, the funnel in the dumpster and then it wouldn't move. And he was like, we, we still need that funnel. And I was like, well, we can, it's just a paper funnel. We can go back in and get another one. He's like, no, I got it. And then he like gets up on the dumpster and he jumps in. He's like, dude, you should jump in the dumpster more often. And I was like, totally serious. And I was just like, what? And he's like, yeah, like, honestly, there's a lot of great stuff that people throw away. And I was just like, I'll take your word for it. And then he came out and jumped out and started doing all this stuff. And it did, turned out he didn't know anything about cars either. Uh, he just thought the answer was fluid and it didn't help didn't help at all. But it's one thing when the bad advice is about minor stuff or stuff that in the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter or it's coming from a stranger like Tony Montana. 
Like, it's easy in those moments to kind of consider the source. Like, I never thought, like, hmm, maybe I will try dumpster diving. Like, I was just like, no, I'm good. Uh, but it's easy in those moments to kind of consider what's happening and sort of look at what they're saying and just sort of brush it off. But, but it's completely different when it's someone that you know and someone you trust. And what they're telling you is about, like, real life stuff. Or, or when they, you know, they, people just don't know what to say, right? So they just throw out something trite and cliche, and it's not helpful or useful or encouraging in any way. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're just like, I don't know what to do about this thing. And people that come out of the woodwork to give advice. Like, I don't know if you've ever been overweight, but the moment, like people assume that you're overweight because you don't know how food works. Um, And so like they, like, and then if they've ever gone to the gym ever before, or if they've ever lost a single pound, they're an expert on what you should do. Uh, or if you've, like for me and my wife, uh, we discovered that we were infertile. And so we started going to a fertility clinic and people started giving me advice on the kind of underwear I should wear. And the reason why we're not having kids is because you drink too much Mountain Dew. They saw me drinking a Mountain Dew and I was like, there's a study, you know, they're telling me, there's a study about Mountain Dew and it kills sperm cells. And I was like, what, wait, whoa. Like, I don't wanna talk to you about this. Like, I just wanna drink my Mountain Dew and like leave me alone. And so like, but it's not like, have you ever been in that situation where people just start talking to you and they're just telling you all this stuff and you're just like, why are you talking to me? And you wanna like punch them in the throat so they'll stop talking? No, nobody's ever had that, that's just me. Uh, so it turns out like we're all pretty good like at, at ignoring advice because it wasn't relevant or helpful or it didn't really align with our lives or our values. And in this series, like we've been talking all month long about listening, but, but the truth is, and kind of as we sort of tie up this series today, the, the thing we're going to talk about today is that there are times when we should actually stop listening, that there are certain things and certainly certain people that you should stop listening to on a regular basis. But it can get tricky sometimes because what if you just don't like what's being said, right? Do you stop listening then? Or, or worse, what if it's someone that you really don't like, but they have something really good and helpful to say? What do you do? That? Do you just like ignore it because like, oh, I don't like that person? Like it's a, little, it's a little more difficult to navigate this on when to stop listening and when not to stop listening than it sounds because sometimes what you need to hear isn't what you want to hear, right? Just because it doesn't, feel good doesn't mean that what's being said isn't good for us or that it's not from God. And so how do we tell the difference between what is unhelpful and what is just uncomfortable? And so to obviously answer that question, you have to consult the book of Job, which is exactly what you were thinking, right? And so we're going we're gonna to get into the book of Job. Now, quick backstory, if you don't know Job's story, Job was a really good dude. He was also a godly man. He also had a great life. He was healthy and had a great family. He was also rich, which helps out with a lot of great stuff. Um, And in the opening scenes of the story, uh, if you go and uh, read the book of Job, Satan believes that Job is only a good man and he only is living a good life and he only trusts and loves God because his life is good. His life is easy and that if all of the the good and the blessing in his life were taken away, that he would turn his back on God and he would turn his back on everything he ever stood for. 
And, and so the devil causes disaster to strike Job's life, and his life gets torn apart piece by piece all in one day. He has the worst day in the history of anybody ever having bad days, and things get really, really dark in his life. He loses all of his money and all of his resources. He loses his home and all his property. Tragically, all of his adult children all die in horrible accidents. And to add insult to injury, he gets sick with this really disgusting skin disease and he gets these terrible sores all over his body. And, and, and now maybe you, you don't really believe there's kind of a cosmic or spiritual evil or, or you don't believe that there's a devil or, or maybe you do and you know this story. And, and either way, it can be confusing when you read this story how the devil would be able to do all these things to Job or why God would allow all that stuff to happen to him in the first place. And the truth is, those are really, really great questions. But for our conversation today, those two questions don't even factor into it. Because no matter what you believe, either way, the truth is, life calls our number for all of us at some point. None of us make it through our lives unscathed. We all have loss, we all have pain, and when we get in those moments, the need for us to have answers can be an absolute prison, right? And so that's what begins to happen with Job and his wife and his friends. Now in Job's case, right on cue, like what so often happens when bad stuff starts happening to people, you know, a series of people, starting with his wife, show up to give what we all really hope for when we're going through a really difficult time and hurting, unsolicited advice, right? That's what you want. It's like, I just had the worst day of my life. Here's what you know, like here's, and people just start telling you what to do and how to fix it and what, what happened. And, and so we're gonna actually look at some of these conversations together and try to see if we can sort of arrive at a place on when to stop listening. So in Job chapter two, beginning with verse eight is where we're gonna pick up the story. It says, so Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. We've all been there, guys, right? Like, who of us hasn't scraped a sore on your skin with pottery sitting in ashes? I mean, it's also known as Monday. Um, and his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad. So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Now, this is kind of a brutal conversation between a husband and a wife because it's tough when the person who's supposed to be the, the closest to you doesn't have any compassion for what you're going through, right? Like, and that, that can be a common thing between husbands and wives. Um, like my wife, when I get hurt, has zero compassion for me. In fact, she laughs hysterical. For some reason, my physical pain is very comedic to her. There was one time we were packing for a trip and we were getting ready to leave. And of course, you know, we were kind of running behind schedule and she's a very scheduled person. And so she, the tensions were high and I'm trying to load. And so I'm going really fast and I got out and I, turned, I came around the corner with something pretty heavy, getting ready to load it in the car. And I stepped off the sidewalk and I rolled my ankle and, uh, and, and like it hurt terribly and I hit the deck. And so she comes out and I'm laying on the driveway, writhing in pain. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I don't know. I just decided to lay on the driveway while we were packing to leave. What do you think I'm doing? I'm hurt. And she just walks away. She doesn't even, she just gets all huffy and mad that I got hurt. So yeah, I understand Job's plight. Like his wife's not being very compassionate. Uh, but 
But that happens a lot, right? In, in your relationship, you know, you just get so familiar with one another. Like, it, it, but it's difficult when you're going through something, you know, something very painful and the people close to you don't have any com- compassion. I mean, that's particularly heartbreaking. And so I know a lot of times when we read this story, people talk about this story, like Mrs. Job, we don't even know her name, so I'm going to call her that. Mrs. Job gets, gets a lot, I mean, she just, she just, you know, she's the punching bag of the story. Uh, but, but I think we should actually cut her a little bit of slack. I mean, the truth is, like, while the, the book is called Job and he's sort of the primary character of the story, like, the truth is, like, all of her kids just died too. Like, everything that happened to him just happened to her. And she's kind of used to hitting up the spa with all of, you know, her girlfriends. And, you know, they got a lot going on. And she's used to going to Target because Kohl's wasn't invented yet. And, and, and she's driving her Lexus because the Tesla she wanted hadn't come out yet. And all of a sudden, her great life, her easy life, her awesome life was gone in an instant. In addition to all of her kids being killed. And now she's rolling in a rusted out grocery getter with no AC and she's got to hit up the dollar store just to try to get some ramen to feed them, you know. And and the worst part is she comes home and her husband is sitting in the living room in a pile of ashes. Presumably he's naked and he's broken her favorite pot and he's scraping and digging at his pussy scabby sores with some broken pottery. That's a pretty bad day for her and for him. And so, yeah, She's a little angry at God, so let's just cut her some slack. And the reality is sometimes we're so steeped in our own pain that we respond poorly to other people's pain. I mean, she's not, you know, it's so easy for us to read the story and she gets painted as a bad person, but she's not a bad person. She's just in a really bad place. Now, I, I, I don't know if you were paying attention when we read part of the story. Like, notice Job's response. He didn't say, you are a foolish woman. You are an idiot. You just stop talking. No, he says you're talking like a fool, like you're talking like a foolish woman, which is honestly like some gets, you know, there's some stuff that kind of gets lost in the translation to English, but he's going, look, this is not who you are. This is not who we are. Things get tough and yeah, it's been a hard day and it's been painful and I'm hurting and you're hurting, but this is not like, we don't just abandon who we are and we're not just gonna abandon God and we're not just, this is not who we are. And part of what he's doing, I think is kind of intention, like whether it's intentional or not, is sort of drawing a boundary for himself and he doesn't give her an ultimatum. He doesn't kick her out. We're not told that, you know, they split up or get a divorce or anything. But, but part of this conversation and their back and forth is him going, look, this is who I'm going to be. And this is what I'm willing to listen to. And this is what I'm not willing to listen to. And so if that's all you got to say, go say that to somebody else. Go say that to your therapist. Go say that to your counselor. I don't want to hear that. Like, I, I, I just can't allow myself to go there. Which honestly I think is helpful, helpful for us because in case it's not obvious, just because someone made the effort to hear you out doesn't mean that you should adopt their attitude or that you're like obligated in some way to act on their bad advice. Like she, the, the advice she gave them was really bad. Like curse God and die. Like that's maybe the worst advice anybody could be given. Like, like before you, you should die, but before you die, you should forsake God so you go straight to hell. Like, like that, that's basically what she was saying. Like curse God and, you know, die and go to hell. Like that's bad advice. Um, but, but often what happens to us is it, it kind of, we get all confused, right? And so we end up staying in unhealthy relationships and, and stay entrenched with the wrong people for way too long just because they were there for us at one point when we needed it. And so they, 
they may have been the only ones who would listen to us and it felt good at the moment and it meant a lot to us. And so sometimes we stay in relationships that aren't healthy or good uh, and, and we rationalize it because like we, we just start thinking like, well, maybe it's worth whatever it costs me because they were there for me that one time. Psychologists actually tell us that the way that our brains are wired is that being seen and heard and listened to feels so much like love Sometimes we don't actually know the difference. We, we confuse the two. We don't, we don't actually know what's happening in a given moment. But, but here's how you can know. Love never asks someone to compromise their character. Right? It, it always champions what's best for the other person. It never takes advantage of them. It's never just like, oh man, I feel you. You had a terrible time. Just do whatever makes you feel better. And I mean, honestly, that's pretty bad advice because there's a lot of things that would make us feel temporarily better, but wouldn't necessarily help at all. And part of what can make this so hard for us is that when we're hurting or life is crappy, like we can get desperate. And when we're desperate, we're actually more susceptible to doing things that we wouldn't normally do, to making decisions, to to going places and becoming someone that we would never become. See, just because something would make you feel better doesn't mean it would actually make things better. And many times doing what would make you feel better would actually make things worse. See, the reality is that some of the people we rely on to hear us, sometimes they end up actually hurting us in the long run. So after Job has this conversation with his wife, he has three friends that hear about what happened to him. And they come to see him. And his three friends, we're not going to look at it all today, uh, but if you read the book of Job, Job's three friends pull off what's nearly impossible. They somehow manage to show us an example of exactly what to do when somebody you love and care about is going through something difficult, what love looks like. But then later, they totally ruin it all and become the exact picture of what not to do in the same story. And so we're going to actually take a look at what happened between him and his friends. So Job chapter 2 verse 11 says this. It says, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy that he had suffered, they got together and they traveled from their homes to comfort and to console him. And when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loud, probably because he never sat naked scrapping, you know, sc- scraping you know, pussy sores when he was hanging out with his friends. Um, but he's wailing loudly, or they started wailing loudly. They tore their robes. They threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word to Job for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. What a powerful, beautiful two or three sentences about the power of humanity and being there to love and support somebody. Like, like have, you, have you ever been there in that moment where it, it says that his suffering was too great for words? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had that moment where life was just so broke? Like you didn't even know what to think or say. You just didn't have the words to put into, like to, 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 to share what, what was actually happening inside of you. And so Job's friends hear about what happened and they set out 
to come and visit them in person and they sit with them and they cry with them and they don't say cheap words or try to give them advice or try to even make it better. They're just present and they grieve and they mourn with him, which is really pretty amazing. And it says, no one said a word for seven days. I mean, think about four guys hanging out and nobody said a word for seven days. That in itself is a miracle. Like, because guys get awkward around silence. So it's like, um, I mean, somebody, the fact that nobody tried to break the silence, that they just, it was such a sacred moment that nobody spoke for seven days. When, it, when I read that, I thought, man, my legs fall asleep in like 10 minutes on the floor, seven days. How do they sit? See, sometimes the best thing you can do is just shut up to not speak, to stop trying to fix things and make it better and make people feel better. You wanna help people show up and then just be quiet. Show up and shut up, just be there. In my experience, like we're just honestly really bad at this, kind of across the board as humanity, uh, but also just in the church as Christians, as followers of Jesus, maybe especially as Christians, we're just pretty bad at being there for people and supporting people. And sometimes it's because we just don't know what we don't know, right? Like we haven't really experienced that level of loss ourselves. And so we don't know how to support people who have. And then there's other times where we just have kind of these weird ideas and feelings about God and bad stuff happening to people and how hope works. And, and so because we're uncomfortable when someone else is hurting, we try to fix them so that their bad juju doesn't kind of rub off on us and whatever God is trying to teach them, he doesn't start trying to teach us. Back in week one of this series, we actually talked about this, and I think it's actually worth repeating, is that when we try to heal people before we hear them, it's not helpful, it's actually hurtful. I've shared uh, over the last few months a little bit of, of some of our pieces of our story, and, and so in 2016, we had uh, just a really brutal kind of patch from February through June, and and my stepmom, who was married to my dad for 24 years, um, she went to a Macy's at a mall to pay her uh, Macy's bill. And when she came out of the mall at 11 a.m. on February 3rd, she was attacked by a 20-year-old uh, with a bat and was murdered in the parking lot um, at Macy's in Fairfield, California. And then a couple of months later, my grandpa died. And then um, the very next month, Hansi's grandpa died. And, and then the month after that, my 10-year-old nephew uh, who had grown up with my kids, him and his brother. We just got back from my brother's house uh, because uh, his older brother just graduated from high school. And, but my 10-year-old nephew, who was perfectly healthy, out of the blue, had a massive seizure one night in his sleep and died, did not recover, did not wake up. And it was all devastating. That level, like there are no, when, when I read that, it was like there's no words for that kind of suffering and pain Man, I, it just felt me just like at a visceral level. Like I just, all of that, the memory of getting the phone calls and hearing my sister-in-law scream and like all of that stuff and everything that happened and watching my kids collapse when they found out their cousin died. It just, all of that stuff came rushing back. And, and all of that stuff happened at the same time I was pastoring a church and I had to fire a pastor who worked for me and our church was going through a really, really difficult time and it was probably the hardest season of ministry that I've ever experienced on the work side and then all of this stuff was happening in our life. And, and to be honest, 
I'm actually a really strong, really resilient person, but I was completely undone in my life. And the truth is, we all were in our family. My kids were a mess, and Hansi was a mess, and, 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 and like everybody was just devastated. And, and, and if I'm being honest, like we had a lot of so many beautiful, supportive, and loving people rally around us. There's, there's no way for us to tell the story without the people in our church and people that didn't know us because of my stepmom's murder. It became a national story. And so people were contacting us from all over the country. And, and it was just, it was, there were a really a lot of beautiful moments. But what happens when you go through difficult things is after a few days, sometimes it lasts for a few weeks, but eventually people kind of get tired of hearing about it because it's not their life, right? And so they're ready to move on and they move on and they, they don't say it to you, but they kind of want you to move on. Like, and so it goes from being really compassionate to like, yeah, we know, but could you just kind of get over it because you're just sort of a downer to be around all the time. We don't want to be around that. And they don't say that. But that's exactly what happens, and that's how Job's friends are in this very next part of the story. Like they sit with him for seven days, and they mourn, and they weep, and they're there. And it's this beautiful experience of people, humans, that caring for one another. But they couldn't leave well enough alone. They actually had to say something. They wanted to move on. They're like, all right, it's been seven days. Like, it's time to get up and go for it, you know. And so, in fact, they had a lot to say. And most of the book of Job are these long, drawn-out lectures and conversations with the, where his, you know, friends are lecturing him about why they think what's happened to him is happening and, you know, and whose fault it is and how to fix it all. And, and then a giant helping of advice on top of that, you know, and what he should do and and so I wanted to kind of pull out a few of the highlights and then look at Job's side of the conversation in just a second. So in Job chapter 5, verse 17, this is one of his friends finally speaks up. He says, consider the joy. Now, remember everything Job's been through, right? This is like a few days later. Consider the joy of those who are being corrected by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. And he's saying this specifically about what has happened to Job. And so essentially what they start saying is, Job, this is terrible, man, but we've been thinking about it and you probably did something that caused God, that made God angry. You did something that deserved this. And so the truth is, is like you should actually be joyful that God loves you enough to destroy your life and discipline you. And somehow it's your fault. But you should just be happy that God loves you enough to correct you. And none of that is true. And they have no evidence to back that up. It's completely an assumption on their part. Not only is it bad advice, it's terrible theology. Consider the joy. Don't you hate it when you're going through something difficult and someone starts telling you all the reasons you should be happy? And you should just be so thankful and so happy. And you're just like, why are you still talking? Job's friends start trying really hard with the like, just look at the bright side stuff. Proverbs chapter 18, verse two says that fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their opinions. And if there's ever been a theme verse for the United States of America in 2021, this is it. Nobody cares about understanding anything. Everybody just wants to air 
their expertise and their opinions. It's almost like Solomon knew the people that we know, right, when he wrote that. So these guys sit with him at first, Job's friends, but then for some reason they do what most people do. They make a conscious decision to stop listening and start lecturing him. And they're like, yeah, 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 we, we got it. We got it. We, 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 we got this. T- time's up. We're kind of over sort of hearing you whine about, I mean, all your feelings and stuff. But man, you got to like suck it up and move forward. And, and here's the issue and here's what you need to do about it. But here's the thing, like pain is never an occasion for someone to try to prove a point. It's not. Like we should never, and this is the part that Christians are really bad at. Like if somebody's going through something and we move in and we're like, what you need is for me to prove a point about the truth and about God. And nobody responds to that. See, when people are uncomfortable with the messiness of other people's emotions, they try to solve or explain away problems rather than just listening and letting the other person feel what they feel and process and talk things out and, and be all over the place and say things that, don't, that they don't mean because when you're in a desperate place, like you feel all these things that you would normally feel and you gotta just get it out of you. Naturally, these guys just start talking. See, when you're, when you're in crisis, you, you, you end up saying things about life and God and pain and justice and healing and hope. And, and, and some of them are true to what you really believe at your core. And some of them are just you just throwing up all of that stuff inside. And what you don't need at that moment is somebody to try to fix you and somebody to try to argue with you because you said something that wasn't theologically correct or whatever. Right? We just need somebody to hear us and listen. And not only do Job's friends not do that, they double down on what they're saying. A few verses later in Job 5, it says this, they, they say this, we have studied life. So now they're going to a philosophical argument. Before they're like, look, here's the spiritual reason for why this happened to you. Now we're gonna go to the philosophical reason. So we've studied life and we found all of this to be true. Listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. Have you ever noticed how everybody is an expert about everything all the time and they use your situation to talk about their experience to validate why they're right and they need, you need to listen to them. Have you ever, ever experienced that? Look, I've thought about this a little bit and I'm sort of an expert so you, so you could trust me. Like, I know what you're going through. I know your wife just died, but I had a cat once and it got hit by a car. And so, man, I feel you. Like, I've, I've been there. There's actually a, a name for when we do that to each other. It's called being a jerk face narcissist. No, that's not the real name. That's the name I give it. But um, it's called a shift response. When, when somebody's going through something, a shift response is when I take a situation that's about you and I make it about me. Like, I know you're going through that, but there's this one time I've been through something way worse. Has anybody ever done that to you? You ever done that to anybody else? I absolutely hate it when that happens to me, but if I'm honest, I've been guilty of doing that so many times in people's lives. And honestly, most of the time it's well-intentioned because I'm trying to say like, hey, I feel you're, I've been through something. Like we, they don't, they don't care about what I've been through. But me loving you and listening well means, means me inviting you to tell me more about what's going on with you. Not me using the occasion of your experience to go, yeah, well, you're lucky because this is what I went through. 
It's so easy for us to assume that we already know or that their experience is just like our experience. But when we do, we end up jumping to conclusions and cheapen what they're going through and almost always end up offering some cliche or slogan or Bible verse that's taken completely out of context. And none of that is helpful at all. And so not only is Job having the worst year of his life, now he feels like he has to defend himself against his own best friends. And so in Job chapter six, he speaks up. Verse 28, he says, look at me. Would I lie to your face? Stop assuming that I'm guilty. I haven't done anything wrong. Do you think I'm lying? Don't I know the difference between right and wrong? He's going, look at me. I don't need to put up with this. I, like, I know who I am. I know what I've done. And sometimes when we read this story, like as we're reading through this, like maybe you can relate. Like we've been talked down to and lectured to by people who were supposed to love us or, or people who were supposedly speaking for God or on behalf of God. If you're like me and you've been through something like this, like it's easy to read through the chunks of this story and you start kind of like hating his friends because it reminds you of the things that have been said to you and you just can't help it. Like you start to feel all those emotions. You're like, dude, would you guys just shut up? Go back to the just hanging out and supporting him and loving him part and being quiet. But the truth is that people who talk and talk without taking the time to listen, they're, they're not evil as much as they're just ignorant and insecure and oblivious. And it doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them evil people. It's still hard to swallow, right? That, that you would hope that they would have a higher uh, EQ, that they would like, sort of read the room and know what's going on. But it's still hard to take. But they're, they're not thoughtless or wicked or evil. Now, what's interesting is that none of Job's friends offered to help him at all. There's no mention of them going, hey, let's maybe like, go see a doctor about those sores that you keep scraping. Like, let's try to get some help for there. Like there, there's no like, hey, let's move you back to our place. You and Mrs. Job can come stay with us while you get back on your feet. Like nobody's like, hey, here's a little bit of cash to kind of get you through and feed you and your wife and kind of help out with all of the things. Nobody, nobody even gave him a fresh piece of pottery to scape his wounds with. The reality is we, have, we all have times in our lives when we need to be both heard and helped. We need people to come around us and to listen and to just step in and put their shoulder under our burden and begin to move forward with us. See, nobody can fix your problems for you. But Job's friends, they weren't even willing to help him kind of get a handle on his situation. And and when your life falls apart, you're going to have to do the work to put it back together again. But It's almost never, that work is almost never work you can do alone. You're going to need people who love you, support you, and come around you. So finally, Job has had enough. In Job chapter 16, beginning with verse 2, he says this. He said, I've heard all this before. And then he just starts, he just starts blasting them. What? Like, you guys are terrible at comforting people. What miserable comforters you are. And then he says this. Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? That's a great, this is how you know they're friends. Like they're, now it's getting real. What makes you keep on talking? I could say the same things to you if you were in my place. I could spout off criticism and shake my head at you. But if, but if, if, if it were me, I would encourage you. I would try to take away your grief. Instead, 
I suffer if I defend myself, and I suffer no less if I refuse to speak. He's like, I can't win with you guys. If I try to defend myself against the things you're saying, you just keep coming at me harder, and if I'm just quiet, you assume that's because you think I think I'm guilty. He's like, you guys keep saying stuff to me that I'd expect to hear from people that don't really know me, that don't really know my situation, but you do know me. You don't have any answers, which is fine, but you're just making stuff up because you feel like you need to say something. Why do you feel the need to keep talking? What a, what a just a brutally honest moment. Sometimes the best thing we can do in those moments when we're in the same place as Job is do what Job did. It's like, look, I need you to stop talking. And if we're on the other side, like us just like stepping into that awkward sense of I don't know what to say and just be like, I don't know why this is happening. I know it's painful. It's nonsensical. And I don't, I honestly don't know what to say and I'm not sure what to do, but I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you. And if there's anything that I can do to help you, I absolutely will. So I'm just gonna be with you and don't be awkward. Like you don't need to say anything. Can you imagine if someone was willing to take that approach with you the last time you were in crisis? I mean, obviously it wouldn't fix it, it wouldn't have fixed everything, but it definitely would have changed everything to have somebody in your life that would step into the middle of the mess and going, look, you don't, I don't have the answers, but I'm just gonna be with you. And so it's at this point that Job's like, look, I can't listen to you guys anymore. It's not healthy for me. I'm not saying you're bad people. You're definitely being bad friends. And the combination of you and me is not good right now. It's not great. And it's not just that they're saying things that he doesn't want to hear. It's that they're saying things that are actually corrosive to his soul. He's going, look, it's not that you, like, you guys are just saying stuff that's hard for me to hear. It's like, he's like, you're making it worse for me. See, just because a relationship is comfortable doesn't mean it's not toxic. In fact, oftentimes toxic relationships are extremely comfortable. There will be times where there are people in your life that you need to stop listening to. And I want to give you that permission. You don't have to be mean and ugly or hateful. You can just tune them out. A few years ago, I was on a coaching call with um, a guy who's kind of a national leader. And, and um, he was coaches, pastors. And um, he said something that was really profound as I was talking. It was actually during that time um, in 2016 when things were not going great and there was all this stuff happening at our church and I was trying to figure out the best way, the healthy way, what was right for me as a, as a church leader and the people in my church and how to navigate all that and the relationships that were sort of pulling and coming and going. And, and so I asked him that question. I'm like, I don't know what to do with some of the people that have been toxic and saying all these things. And and like, where does like, for not, not just forgiveness, but reconciliation and how was my relationship look with that person, look like with that person going forward. And, and he gave me like this category that I'd never thought of before. He's like, it's okay for relationships in your life to go from being active relationships to being passive relationships. You don't have to shun those people. You don't have to cut them out of your life. You don't have to be angry at them. You can be reconciled to them. You can forgive them but that relationship no longer be taking energy from you and you be investing in that relationship. It just moves to passive. And maybe you have somebody in your life like that right now where it's been an active relationship and you're just like, man, I don't know how to, I don't wanna cut this person off. 
I, I just don't feel like that's the right thing. Maybe, maybe it's time for you just to move to allow that relationship to become a passive one in your life. By the way, if it becomes necessary to distance yourself from someone, don't just ghost them. Like, we all know what that's like. We, we've all been on the receiving end of that. It's hurtful. It doesn't help anybody. It may be hard for you to say something to them, and it definitely would be harder for them to hear it, but you need to tell them why. Like Job, Job's like, hey, guys, I'm done listening, so you can keep giving your lectures. You can keep doing what you're doing. I'm not a part of this anymore. See, th- this is about doing what's right when, when you're trying to extricate yourself from those situations, not just what feels good. Because in those moments when somebody's getting on your nerves or doing something that's hurtful and not helpful, like you just want to lash out at them. Well, that, that's not, that would feel good, but that's not the right thing to do. This isn't cutting people off who say, say things to you that you don't agree with. We all know people who will, speak, we all need people who will speak truth to us. And it's usually uncomfortable and hard for us to hear. This is those moments of regular, like where you're, if you're regularly taking in something that, that is making your attitudes and your actions less like Jesus, less healthy, you need to put some distance between you and that other person. You need to stop listening. In the end, If what someone says about you consistently conflicts with what God says about you, stop listening. They are not worthy of your attention. By the way, one last thing before we close. This stuff is super messy, I know. Life in itself and relationships are messy. And we want it to be kind of easy and clean and all make sense and it would be obvious what we're supposed to do. I mean, why can't this story be one way or the other? Why can't Job's friends either be total, complete losers or the perfect example of what it means to be a friend? But instead, they're just like us. They got it right sometimes. They messed it up a whole bunch of times. Relationships and friendships are complicated, especially when there's crisis involved. But here's the hope, right? Like, when we stop listening or we move to the you know, people in our life to the periphery of our lives or, or we allow that relationship to go passive, sometimes it's healthy for it to be a permanent move and we just kind of walk away altogether. And other times it's just for a season. I've had people in my life that, where I, that I love where I had to create some distance for a while, but over time I grew and then they grew and then we grew together again. And that's actually what happens with Job. At the end of the story, if you flip all the way to the last chapter, God actually confronts Job's friends and corrects them for saying a bunch of stupid stuff on his behalf to Job. And which is actually really great because you can just know that God's got your back when life is brutal and people are being ugly and saying things they shouldn't say to you and talking about you. Just know that God's, like none of that escapes his attention. And so Job's Job's friends finally realize the damage that they had done to him and to their friend, somebody that they love. And in the, in the end, there's healing and restoration and Job forgives them and then he prays for them and, and, and their relationship and friendship is restored. And so it, it doesn't have to be the end, but maybe there's a, a situation that you're in where you're just like, I just need to create some distance. I need to stop listening. And so my question for you this morning is, are there voices that you just need to like turn down the volume on? Maybe in a moment of brutal honesty, you realize that, that maybe you're the voice that someone else needs to turn down in their life. Maybe you're sitting here thinking like, I can't think of a specific person, but 
the volume on social media is just like corrosive to my soul. I need to turn that down. And, and then if you're here this morning and going through something really difficult, just know that God's got your back, that he's not mad at you. He's not punishing you. He's there, he's for you, and he's with you. Let's pray together.